Turn with me, if you would, this morning. Uh, we're going to start. We're going to be looking at a few verses, Lord willing, this morning. Uh, but turn, if you would, to uh, Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. We might look at uh, uh, the issue of the kingdom, Christ's kingdom. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've looked at a few different things, and we've seen that uh, uh, the people of God, the Israel of God, the true Israel of God, is a spiritual people. It's not a uh, fleshly lineage or national people. It's a uh, spiritual people. I think the Bible is pretty clear about that. Um, uh, I may do some more in-depth preaching on that as time goes by. But we've seen that the true Israel is a spiritual people. We've seen that the tabernacle is a spiritual tabernacle. It's not a physical building. It's a spiritual building. Uh, we've seen that the sanctuary is not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Uh, and so we've, we've seen that the people of God are a spiritual people that make up this spiritual building, um, and they have a king, and they are subjects in a kingdom. And this kingdom is not a physical kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom. Now, all of this was foreshadowed and typified in the Old Testament by physical things, but whenever we get into the New Testament, we see that the preaching and the teaching and the further revelation that the New Testament brings, and that's another thing that I hope to maybe preach on sometime soon, is the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament in the fact that the New Testament is the further revelation or the open revelation of the gospel and the things of Christ um, and how it does supersede uh, the typified and foreshadowed things in the Old Testament, but um, and, and I may hit on a little bit of that some today, just to you know show what we're talking about as far as the kingdom of Christ. But one thing we got to always understand is that we do take whatever the New Testament reveals because it is a further revelation. It is a fuller revelation, an unveiled revelation of those typified and foreshadowed things in the Old Testament. Therefore, uh, if the New Testament lays a definition or lays a explanation or uh, lays to end a prophecy that was in the Old Testament, uh, then we have to submit to that teaching. And we know that the New Testament is the Scriptures just as much as the Old Testament is the Scriptures. And the New Testament doesn't negate what was being taught in the Old Testament, but what we have to understand is in the New Testament we see the fuller understanding of what that Old Testament type and foreshadow was pointing to, or what how it was going to be fulfilled, and what that was teaching. 
again, like the sacrifices, like the priesthood, you know, all those types of things. Even the whole nation of Israel was typif- was a typification of the spiritual people of God. The, the, the being delivered out of Egypt and crossing into the promised land and going through the, the Red Sea and the wandering in the wilderness, all those were typifications of things that we experience in the spiritual nature of the spiritual kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so, <clears throat> what we come across is sometimes people will say, well, you're spiritualizing everything. And to most people, I will say, you're right. We are. <laughs> because that's what this is all about. Is we are to discern and we are to, we are to uh, preach and teach spiritual, with, spiritual things with spiritual understanding. We're looking at things from the spiritual understanding of it. And we are uh, interpreting these things with the spiritual understanding. Now, are some things literal? Absolutely. Are some things historical? Yes. Are some things poetic? Yes. Are some things given to us uh, for basic facts? Yes. That's that's the that's that's the nature of how the scriptures have been have been given to us. But whenever we look at these things, as I've mentioned many times. Number one, we're to always look for Christ in it because Christ is the subject matter from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Everything is to focus on and to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ. And then akin to that is those who are in Christ or his people, his true Israel, because Christ is actually the one who is called Israel and then we're called the Israel of God because we are united with Him. And because of our uniting, spiritual uniting to Jesus Christ, we are the Israel of God. So the only reason that we are that spiritual Israel of God is because we have been united by God to Christ Jesus, who is the Israel of God, who is the elect of God. See, that's the other thing. Jesus Christ is also in Scripture called His elect. But we too are called His elect. Every individual child of grace that before the foundation of the world was given to Christ, we are the elect of God, but we are the elect because we are in the elect one, who is Christ Jesus. So the only way that you can be the elect of God is to have been united to Christ whenever God gave a people to Christ as their surety. So we are the elect of God because we are in Christ Jesus. So you see how we look at these things in a spiritual aspect and we see everything from the lens of looking for Christ in that and then we see what it has to do with us uh, because of that. So whenever we're looking through Scripture and especially in the Old Testament, we're seeing the picture of Christ's relation of not only himself but also his relation to his people. Matter of fact, the whole book in the Old Testament, Song of Solomon, is about that relationship of us to our bride, uh, our bridegroom. Uh, we as the bride to the bridegroom. But all of Song of Solomon, whenever you read it, is a beautiful picture of a relationship between a man and a woman, right? Matter of fact, I mean, a lot of times whenever you read Song of Solomon, it's almost kind of somewhat embarrassing reading some of the stuff, right? Because you're reading some intimate talk between a husband to his wife. 
But again, that is a picture of Christ and his church. Christ and his elect, that is. So, whenever we look at the opposition that says, well, you guys are putting too much emphasis on the New Testament, and you're not teaching the Old Testament. No, we teach the Old Testament. Matter of fact, I think over the last several weeks, we've looked at many places in the Old Testament. But you cannot fully understand and know the Old Testament without that New Testament understanding and revelation. Now, someone may say, well, what about all those before the New Testament was ever written? How? What about that? That's the point. They did have the scriptures as far as the Old Testament scriptures is concerned. They had those scriptures, but they did not have the full teaching. And the Bible is clear about that. They, had, they did not have this in its fullness. And again, like I said, maybe sometime I'll, I'll preach to that end and, and, and show where that's all throughout the New Testament. We see that. <clears throat> However, I'm assuming we all understand that and know that and have enough scripture knowledge in our, in our minds to know that what in, is in the New Testament is the Old Testament concealed and uh, the, New Te- or the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, right? The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so we see that a, a little bit better. But I think I can kind of show you where that pivot point from preaching and, and, and understanding in that Old Testament with that veil and with that uh, mystery. The Bible says that the gospel was preached in the Old Testament, but it was a mystery. It was preached, but it wasn't preached in its fullness or in its totality. Now, did they understand that there was a Messiah to come? Yes. Did they understand that that Messiah would bear their sins? Yes. Did they understand that that Messiah was going to be a Messiah not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles? Yes, that was clear in the Old Testament. So the gospel was preached to Abraham, the Isaac, to Jacob. The gospel was preached to all those Old Testament saints all throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament, the gospel was preached, but the Bible is clear that it was preached in a mystery. But there came a point where that mystery was taken away And God sent men who were called of God, equipped by God, given a gift by God to preach the things of the kingdom of God. And this was different than had been heard. These these people had not been hearing this preaching or this kind of teaching. That's why it was such an oddity. That's why it was such a, a wild thing. That's why the crowds was gathering in masses to come and hear John and Jesus and the apostles preach is because this was completely foreign to how they understood things and heard things. But yet whenever they come, there was no there was no going back and saying, well, we keep doing this, we keep doing this, we keep doing this. No, it was a now we have come and we are preaching the fuller revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay, and the gospel of the kingdom. Now, I think if we'll look, and, and, and let me just say at the onset of this, there, there are a couple of, uh, of viewpoints of the kingdom uh, that are kind of understood. One we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, where the Jews, they think that the kingdom of God, and especially as we look into the New Testament, what their understanding was, 
is their understanding of the kingdom of God was that Messiah was going to come and was going to put down the Roman government, going to put down their enemies, and they were going to ascend and inherit a kingdom to rule over the Gentiles. Right? And so they were looking for this earthly kingdom that was they were going to be set up in with Christ as the head and, and, the, and the ruler and them as the subjects underneath to rule over everybody else. But that's not what happened and that's not what Jesus came to do and that was not the intent and, and they misunderstood what the coming of the kingdom and what the, uh, the kingdom of Christ was all about and what Messiah was coming to do. They completely misunderstood that. And that's exactly why Paul and the other apostles were making clear to them that, you know, we, we believe this and we understood this, you, all this kind of stuff. But Jesus came and taught them rightly the things of the Old Testament. He did that with his apostles first. The disciples that were following him around, he taught them those things. He taught them about the kingdom of God. He taught them about his place as the types and the foreshadows. And then after his resurrection, he continued to do that with the guys on the road to Emmaus. He began to teach them more fully from Genesis uh, and, and all the way through Malachi. Everything that had to do with him. Um, and so he opened up their understanding. Well, how come he had to open up their understanding? Because they did not understand. They didn't understand that all the Old Testament was pointing to him and that he was the fulfillment of all of the things talked about in the Old Testament. Well, why was that? Because it was a mystery. Because it had not been preached like this. And so therefore, he was giving them that fuller understanding, that fulfillment understanding. He was giving them the understanding of these things were all a physical thing that was pointing to this spiritual work that I've come to do. And so, there was a moving point from law and prophets to the preaching of the gospel. We no longer are looking at the law and the prophets, but now what does the gospel say? Because the gospel is the further revelation or is the full revelation of the law and the prophets. So those who are just wanting to continue to look back to the law and the prophets are going to miss what the fulfillment and the fullerness, if you allow me that word, the fullerness of the Bible is all about because that's all they're looking at. They're looking at the shrouded, mysterious, veiled gospel and not what Christ has established. And so, if you would, look with me in Mark chapter 1. Well, let, let me, before I move on, I keep wanting to move forward. So that was one view of the kingdom, right? The Jews looked at it as a coming king who was going to set up his throne, rule over the Gentiles. They were going to be in the high seats, right? Well, <clears throat> modern Christianity today has that exact same view of the kingdom, but instead of it being the Jews necessarily, it's going to be the Christians. That they're going to be the Christians that are going to be set up uh, and, and they're going to be on the throne and they're going to be ruling over the non-Christians. You know, in some millennial kingdom and, and uh, all this kind of stuff. They're still looking for some set up kingdom on the earth 
where Christ is sitting on a throne with a rod of iron, and they're sitting on higher seats and ruling over people below them. Okay, it's still an earthly kingdom that they're looking for. So you got the the Jews' view, you got the Christians' view that believes that it's going to be the Christians ruling over, and then somewhere in between there you have this Zionist view that kind of mishmashes both of those. That yes, they believe that there's going to be a coming kingdom with Jesus on the throne, but yet the Jews are going to be the ones put up on that on that high seat, ruling over everybody else. But all the Christians are going to be in the good of all of it, and so they're looking for this and the reinstitution of a tabernacle and a temple and a temple worship and and the reinstitution of the sacrifices and all this kind of stuff. So they're looking for a visible tangible, earthly kingdom. <clears throat> but is that, <laughs> is that the kingdom of Christ? Is that what Jesus preached? Because see, we've got to take Jesus' word above everyone else's. And subsequently, the apostles' word, because Jesus directly taught and give them the things to say. Remember, Paul, was it to the, to the Galatians or to the Corinthians? I can't remember now. I think it's the Galatians. Where he said, you know, that which was given to me, I've delivered unto you. Uh, and so, G the apostles, we know the twelve apostles was directly taught by Jesus, but yet, Paul being one born abnormally out of season or out of due time, meaning apostle-wise, he was taught by Christ. Remember, whenever he went and... Uh, my mind just went blank where he went for those uh, three and a half years. But he went and the Lord taught him. And I believe he taught him the same things that he taught these other men. And while he was there being taught, that was the foundation being laid for the Gentiles to be taught these things as well. So the Jewish church, the Gentile church, all was of one faith. Therefore, the Bible is true when it says that the faith was once delivered to the saints. How was that delivered? By Jesus giving it to the apostles, and the apostles being that foundation within that New Testament church, they began to teach and preach the kingdom of Jesus Christ and His precepts, His laws, His governance, all the things, and His doctrine. That was what was being taught. And that was the, the foundation of the New Testament church. And Christ is the one who adds to the church and builds upon that. He builds those people that are being brought into the church. He builds upon those who know these things and are perpetuating these things. He is the one who is controlling all that. He is the one who is keeping all that, sustaining all that. And he has, from the time he walked these shores of Galilee that we see in the New Testament, until today, he has continually sustained this New Testament church wherever it's at in history. It's never ceased to be out of existence. It didn't go underground and come out some Catholic church or made its way through some Catholic church or some other church. It's always been his church, and there's always been his people with those doctrines and with that faith once delivered, continually, perpetually teaching and preaching and standing and defending and enjoying those things. 
And that's, that's how we believe in the perpetuity of the church, is like that. Okay? Not some chain link thing that this church begat this church begat this church and that, you know. No, it's based upon doctrine. Okay? It's based upon the teachings of Jesus Christ. And what He has laid as the foundation and, and in that was given to those people. So therefore, what Jesus taught and what the apostles affirmed in their teaching to those that they began to be spread out to teach at Jerusalem first, then into Samaria, then into the other parts of the world, what they began to teach and, and preach was everything that Jesus laid down. Therefore, if Jesus laid this down to them and then... And we may not have Jesus saying it in our, if you want to say, red letters. But yet if the apostle in the epistles or in some of the other letters that they wrote make note of this, because all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that these men are not writing by private interpretation, but are moved by the Holy Spirit of God to write these things. If they are written by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, then these things are true. Therefore, if they give a definition or they give an understanding of something, therefore, that was what Jesus taught them. It's in conjunction with all the rest of Scripture. And so we have to take that, submit ourselves to that, and we have to begin to look at it in that perspective. We have to look at it from that vantage point and if that contradicts our man-made theologies, our man-made traditions, and our man-made desires, then submit to the Lord Jesus. And, of course, we know that we have, can only do that if the Lord gives us the ability to do that. But look with me, if you would, at Mark chapter 1. And I want to start reading down in... Now, this verse here eluded me for a long time, okay? This passage, I've had read it, but just skimmed right over it. As, as I do, to my shame, a lot of times with a lot of the introductory parts of a, of a book in the Bible, I'll kind of skip through real quickly the, those opening passages because it's just, hi, how are yous, and things like that. But... This seemed to elude me uh, for such a long time. But look at verse 14. It says, Now after that John was put in prison. Now this is speaking about John the Baptist, right? Now let, let me just backtrack for just a second, if you don't mind. John the Baptist, the Bible says, quote, was a man sent by God. So whatever everybody wants to debate about John the Baptist, was he the last Old Testament prophet? Was he the first New Testament preacher? Was he some intermediate between the two testaments or between the two covenants, between the two uh, 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 offices or whatever, uh, prophet or preacher or whatever you want to call him? Whatever anybody wants to say, the Bible is clear that John was a man that was sent by God. We know that John was conceived almost as miraculously as Christ was conceived. Not to the same extent, but don't don't put words in my mouth or, or get my meaning wrong. But John was a promised birth, just like Jesus was. An angel appeared and told 
John's parents, you're going to have a son. Just like Jesus was announced to his parents. But John was going to be for a special purpose, a special person. And of course we know now with the New Testament revelation that John was uh, Elijah that was to come. Now there again, there's one of those types and foreshadows that is spiritualized. We look at it from the spiritual. John is Elijah. Well, is John actually physically Elijah resurrected? No, he wasn't. But Jesus was the one who claimed that John is Elijah. That was to come. But what does the scripture say? John was a man who was sent by God and he was sent to prepare a way for the Messiah. To prepare a way for Christ. He was to prepare a people for Christ. And so John, that's why in the, in the uh, predestinated order of God, that's why John was conceived first, born ahead of time, and whose ministry began before Jesus Christ because he was to prepare the way for the Lord. And so John had a specific purpose. And John came with that purpose. Now, I think I can from Scripture prove that the gospel that John preached is the exact same gospel that Jesus preached and is the exact same gospel that the apostles preached. They're no different. Some say that John's gospel that he preached was a different gospel than what Paul and what Peter all preached. Well, I will say that what John preached was no different than Jesus, was no different than Peter, Paul, James, John, any of the rest of the apostles. <clears throat> but here we see that John is a man sent by God, so we know from Scripture that John is being sent by God with a specific task to do something that for 400 years has not been done. You remember at the close of Malachi, the last of the prophets, there was like 400 years and there was no word from God, there was no prophets, there was no anybody. Then all of a sudden one came out of, the, out of nowhere and began preaching and teaching. And he began to preach and teach something not that had ever been heard before. But yet we know from Scripture that this man was sent by God with a message from God. That we can't deny. So, this is who we're talking about. Now, after verse 14, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came unto Galilee preaching the kingdom of God. So here, and we're going to, I was going to read this verse again later, but uh, here we see Jesus preached the kingdom of God. I, I've heard some people say that nowhere in the New Testament do you find Jesus or Paul or any of the apostles preaching a spiritual kingdom. Okay, they never they never delineated between the physical kingdom that was to be set up and a spiritual kingdom. So that that's false. That spiritual kingdom is not anywhere found. We're reading into that. Well, I hope to show here in just a minute that this is a spiritual kingdom. Therefore, if Jesus and everybody else <coughs> that preached the kingdom was preaching the kingdom of God, what, king, what kind of kingdom were they preaching? Because Jesus is preaching it here, and as we'll see here in a little bit, Lord willing, there were other men who were preaching it. 
not just Jesus. But <coughs> look at verse 15. It says, Jesus came into the, into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Not something in the future, but it, it is at hand. Meaning it's here. The gospel of the kingdom of God was being preached and Jesus was preaching that the kingdom is here. It's at hand. Whenever we say something is at hand, it means that it's happening. It's happening now. Here it is. Remember, the Jews were thinking that Jesus was coming to set up a kingdom, to set up this rule and this authority. That's what Messiah was to do. And Jesus is affirming, as Messiah, I am here to set up my kingdom and to, I'm going to preach the things of the kingdom. And that's what he did. And he said that this kingdom, though, and we'll see here in a minute, isn't what they thought it was. So, when Jesus came and said the kingdom of God is at hand, was he mistaken? Was he speaking in future terms of a thousand year reign later down the, down the line? Or was he talking about something that was happening there at that time and beginning with him? And if this kingdom was at hand then what kind of kingdom was it? It obviously wasn't an overthrow of the Roman Empire and the setting up of a of a throne in a tabernacle and a ruling of a rod of iron and the Jews being elevated to a level and status or even the Christians being elevated to a level or status to rule over everybody that wasn't. The preaching of the kingdom that was at hand was a preaching and a teaching of an accomplishment that Jesus was about to do, was about to take place, and a people that was to be joined into that work which was not only of Jew, but of Gentile. But bear with me. I hope to open this up a little bit further here in just a minute. It says, the time is fulfilled. What did he mean by that? Jesus said that <clears throat> with the coming of John, he said, the time is fulfilled. Now, if you would, look back with me. Keep your finger there in Mark. But look back with me, if you would, at Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. Now I understand that there's several different uh, interpretations of what this means and how everybody figures it out and all this kind of stuff. And Lord willing, maybe one of these days, I've preached on this uh, before, uh, Daniel's 70 weeks, but uh, uh, it's been a long, long time ago. Uh, and I don't want to get into it this morning, but I, I will just say, I think that Daniel's 70 weeks, uh, that it was from the time that uh, the command was given to rebuild, restore Israel, after their Babylonian captivity, and that it was fulfilled in the time of Jesus Christ. That is those 69 uh, weeks, uh, and then seven, the 70th week uh, being what we are in now. But it says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, here's the reason why I think this. 
part of the reason why. To finish the transgression. There's one. To make an end of sins. That's two. To make reconciliation for iniquity. That's three. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's four. And to seal up vision and prophecy. That's five. And to anoint the most holy. That's six. You can see that every one of those things took place in the ministry and life of Jesus Christ during that time. Now Jesus said that the time had been fulfilled. What had been fulfilled? These 69 weeks leading up to this point where there would be the finishing of the transgressions. That finish the transgressions, it means to, re to restrain. The finish of the transgression, it means to restrain, to withhold, to hold back, to keep under the transgression. Basically, it, it's saying that the transgression that men, and, I, and I'm speaking of the elect of God, the transgression that these men have been uh, that have been their condemnation, okay, is now being restrained. It's no longer affecting them. We know that by the work of Jesus Christ, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Is there sin and transgression in the life of the child of the elect? Absolutely. But it's not counted against them. It's not seen. It's not taken into account. The Bible says that blessed is the man unto whom sin is not imputed. The Bible says that um, uh, that uh, he hath not seen, uh, he has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, nor hath he seen perverseness in Israel. For the Lord their king is among them, or the shout of a king is among them. <coughs> so, the transgression of God's people is no longer taken into account anymore because Christ has come to be their, uh, to be their substitute. So there is a finish of the transgression. Now, you could also look at that, and, and the word finish there doesn't mean to fill up or to, to, to bring to an end. Uh, as I originally thought it was. I used to say that. Matter of fact, one time whenever I preached on the Daniel's 90 weeks, I believe that's what I actually said, that that was talking about those religious leaders filling up the iniquity of their fathers. If you remember in the New Testament, the Bible speaks and Jesus speaks of that they, uh, that they still are to fill up the iniquity of their fathers, how their fathers had killed the prophets and, 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 and continued to persecute the prophets. And Jesus was basically saying, you're going to do the same thing with me. Go ahead and fill up the iniquity of your, of your fathers. And that's what I thought that was meaning. But when I looked into that word finish, the word finish there doesn't mean to, to bring to fulfillment or to completion. It means to restrain, to keep hold or to bring back, to keep back or to, to restrain. And so our transgression... Before God has been restrained. It is no longer going before God and accusing us 
before uh, before him. But it says this to make an end of sins. Now the Lord Jesus definitely made an end of our sins. Whenever he uh, nailed the hand uh, nailed to that cross the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that brought an end to our sinning. Again, do we still in Adamic man sin? We absolutely do. But as far as in God's economy, our sin is no more. Every sin that we have done, every sin that we might be doing, and every sin that we will do, we're all part of that, that was sealed in a bag, that was nailed to the cross, that was taken and by God's blood was cleansed and purged. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Why? Because there is no sin. He has removed the guilt of sin from us. He has removed the dominion of sin from us. Sin no longer has control over us, no longer has power over us. And so He has brought, made an end of sins for His people to make reconciliation for iniquity. We've been reconciled to God. Our iniquity had separated us from God, correct? Our iniquity had separated us from God in our vantage point. Iniquity had separated us from God. The iniquity of Adam and the inherent sin that we have from Him is all iniquity. We are at enmity against God. But there is reconciliation through the cross of Jesus Christ. Whenever we have been born of God and we have been given the Spirit of God, He brings peace between us and God. That brings us into a peaceful relationship with God. We no longer are kicking against this holy God that we see in Scripture that we don't want, don't like. We no longer are at enmity with the God who has predestinated all things and who has chosen the very destinies of all men and has only died for the ones that He has been given to. See, that God we love. That God they out there don't love. They don't like that. Why? Because they're still at enmity with that God. But whenever the child of grace has been brought to spiritual life and brought to spiritual understanding, there is now peace with God, not only legally, but experientially. And I would say that experientially part, I can't say it's more important because you have to have the legality of it before you can have the experiential part of it. But the experiential part of it is, is what we actually know. Yes, is there something out there in that legal aspect in the court of heaven that Christ made peace with God where we who were sinners and had iniquity uh, and, and, and continue in transgressions and everything can be made at peace with the justice and the righteousness and the holiness of God? Yes, that's by the cross of Jesus Christ. But brethren, in the experiential aspect of that, we who are enmity of the God that we don't like, that we hate because He's the God that ain't to our liking, that ain't to our way, and, and we've brought this God down and molded and made Him into a fashion that, that we like, we're at enmity against the God of the Bible. But through Jesus Christ, we are made peace with who that God is. See, I once kicked against all these things. A God that predestines everything, a God who controls everything. A God who chooses who will and who won't. I didn't like that God. I hated that God. I probably in my time said that God is, is not God and I will never serve that kind of God. But here I am. 
Now, that right there, that God is the God I want to hear about. I want to know why, because that's the God I see in Scripture. That's the God of this book. And therefore, for me, it's a peaceful thing to hear about that thing. But it's not for the reprobate. He says, and to bring in everlasting righteousness. With the work of Jesus Christ, His righteousness is imputed to all His elect. And it's an everlasting righteousness. We can't ever lose His righteousness. We could never gain it. We can't ever lose it. It was given to us freely. That was done when Christ came. That was the basis for all righteousness. But look at the next one. To seal up the vision and prophecy. One of the things that Christ was accomplishing whenever He came in the fulfillment of the time is to seal up or to close up, to finish off, and to hide away what? Vision and prophecy. All prophecy is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm talking about all the Old Testament prophecy. Are there some things that Jesus talked about that was going to happen later? Yes. The destruction of Jerusalem. Now, that was in the Old Testament as well. But Jesus talked about a destruction of Jerusalem. But brethren, everything in the Old Testament, the fulfillment of prophecy and vision, the Bible says here, with the coming of Jesus Christ, has been sealed up. And I believe that that is what Jesus is talking about in Mark, where he says that the fulfillment of time has come. The time is fulfilled. Everything that was to happen is being fulfilled with the coming of Jesus Christ. That's why we see that everything that was being taught of in the Old Testament was all about Christ. Everything that was talked about of His kingdom was about Christ and His kingdom. And it wasn't a physical thing, it was a spiritual thing. And he says it's now, the time is fulfilled. What is being fulfilled? The sealing up of, of vision, the sealing up of prophecy, and the revealing of the true kingdom of Christ. The time has come that we are no longer veiled, we are no longer under the mystery, we are no longer under the hidden part of the gospel, but now the time is fulfilled that it should be made manifest, that it should be brought out into the open. Why? Because the fulfillment of all of it is now here and is going to be on display for everyone to see. Christ on the cross is for everyone to know and to see this is the fulfillment of all prophecy. This is the fulfillment. This is the king coming into the kingdom and setting up his, his, uh, his kingship. This is him showing that he, matter of fact, the Bible says that he's been given power over heaven and earth. That has been given unto him power over all flesh. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Christ coming into His kingdom. But what kind of kingdom was it? Is it a physical kingdom? Is it a spiritual kingdom? Look if you would at Galatians chapter 4.
Look at verse 1. It says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now here we see again the fullness of time. When the fullness of time was come, that means the time that Christ came, there was a fulfillment or a fullness that had taken place. That in the fullness of time, so whatever the time was for something to happen, this was the fulfillment of it. This was the fullness of it. The fullness had come. It had only been in part, but now it has come in full. Time that had been uh, decreed, declared of God from this point till this point had not yet happened, but now with Christ, the fullness of that time had taken place. And I believe that's what was talking about in Daniel chapter 9. That the fullness of time of all the transgression, all the iniquity, all the things that was to be done, all that stuff, we see all that being taken care of in Christ Jesus. The being made at peace with God. The bringing in of righteousness. The sealing up of all the vision and all the prophecy. I've heard it said that just within the birth of Jesus Christ, there was like, I don't know, hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that was, uh, that was fulfilled just in Christ's birth. <clears throat> I haven't counted them, I don't know. That's what I hear, that's what I've been told. If I'm wrong about that, forgive me. But still the fact remains is that Jesus Christ has fulfilled every prophecy that was to be fulfilled about the Messiah. Now, with that being said, we see that John, <clears throat> or Jesus, was preaching the gospel, and Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now look what he says here. He says, repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, most people, whenever they look at that, think that Jesus said, Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. But that's not what Jesus said. What's Jesus talking about here? Repent means to have a change of mind, right? The word repent means to change, my, to change your mind. Or to turn in the, the other direction, right? And everybody always says that repent is about sin. You need to repent of your sin. Jesus did not say repent of your sin and believe the gospel. He said repent and believe the gospel. What they were believing until the fullness had come, until the kingdom came, until the gospel came, what they were believing was a misunderstanding of the kingdom of God, was a misunderstanding of the work of Messiah, was a misunderstanding about who the people of God were. A misunderstanding about the whole work of God in redemption. It was a complete misunderstanding. Their doctrine was misunderstood. Was it was a misunderstanding? Everything was a misunderstanding to them. And Jesus here was saying, now that the time is being fulfilled, now that 
The kingdom of God is here. Turn from your wrong way of thinking about what this is all about and believe the gospel. What does the gospel say? Well, the gospel doesn't say anything about something that you work towards. It doesn't say anything about a law keeping that you must keep. It doesn't say anything about you being descendants of Abraham in the physical fleshly realm to be a child of grace. The gospel is all about the work of Jesus Christ on behalf of other people. And everyone for whom He did that work for are the adopted sons of God. Everyone for whom He did that work for are the children of God. Everyone that He did that work for are the ones who will be the recipients, the inheritors of the kingdom of God, and therefore they'll be heirs of the promise of everything of the bounty of the kingdom of God. But again, is this a physical kingdom that Jesus is talking about or is this a spiritual kingdom that Jesus is talking about? I think another point that can be made about this being a different kingdom, a different preaching, a different thing that had been taught leading up to this and it being something new, something that just started with John and with Jesus and with the apostles can be found in Luke. We would turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. <clears throat> now Jesus had just uh, talked to them about uh, um, being stewards of the things that had been given trusting in true riches and versus false uh, riches about not serving mammon. And in verse 14 says, The Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided Jesus. So whenever Jesus talked about what true riches are, being spiritual riches, being the riches of Christ, being the riches of the kingdom of God, Okay, versus the, the riches of, of the things that you have attained here in this world and in this life, physical things, material things, earthly things. Whenever Jesus pointed this out to these religious leaders, the Scriptures say that they derided Him. That means that they sneered at Him. They scoffed at Him. Basically, that word means they kind of turned their nose up at Jesus about what He said about them. And look what Jesus, how Jesus responded to them whenever they did this. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. Meaning that they are justifying themselves as being the accepted or the elected or the, or the righteous ones because of their outward appearances. They were justifying themselves before others by their works. Okay? And Jesus said, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. What you think is your righteousness, your keeping of righteousness, your keeping the law, what you think is, is to be highly esteemed, God thinks is abomination. Now brethren, that's what God thinks about you when you're trying to keep the law for righteousness and for acceptance before Him. It's an abomination to Him. It's sin. 
is actually what it is. To, to think that we can keep the law for acceptance, for perseverance, for continuance in the faith or whatever, to think that that's a justifying of ourselves before men. But God knows our heart. What does God know about our heart? He knows that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. The Bible says that, that God knows about our heart is that our heart is wicked and evil above all things, it says. The Bible says that we are evil continually in this fleshly Adam. The Bible says that our hearts are not pure, our hearts are not right in this flesh. And so for us to think that we can justify ourselves before God by outward works, by outward attainment, by our lineage, by our descendants, whatever the case, if we are going to avail ourselves or present ourselves to God in something that is physical, something that is tangible, something that is a work-related thing, that is an abomination to God, he says. Now look what he says, though, in verse 16. And the reason I say that is for those who continue to think that there is this law service that is to be kept. That God has re is requiring us to continue in the Torah, to continue in the law service, to continue in the sacrifices, to continue in the in all the feasts and the festivals and all the things that, that was given in the Old Testament that were types and foreshadows that was to be in the fulfillment of time sealed up with the work of Jesus Christ, with the coming of Jesus Christ. That was He was there to put an end to those things, to seal them up, to finish them up, to close them up. To bring them to their, their specified end. They was there for a purpose for a specific time. And now that time has come for them to be done away with. It's now time for them to be closed up. Why? Because the fulfillment of them has come. Now look what he says there in verse 16. He says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presses into it. Now, brethren, to me that seems to be very clear, unless I just don't understand English. It says that the law and the prophets, and everything contained in them, were until John the Baptist. Not including John the Baptist, but were until John the Baptist. But with the coming of John the Baptist, it says here, since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. Did John the Baptist preach the kingdom of God? Yes, he did. But this shows us that there was a shift in the preaching from the law and the prophets, and that a new dispensation, if you'll allow me that word, and I don't mean it in its ugly, term, ugly way of the dispensational way, 
but a new testament, a new preaching was being done. Not of a physical, typical, symbolical language, but of a spiritual language. It was now being preached. Jesus Christ. What did John preach? He said, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus came walking down that road and John saw Him and made that declaration, was it a little bad lamb coming down the road? No. What was John doing? He was taking the vision and the symbol and the prophecy from the Old Testament and he was applying it to the spiritual of this New Testament language that was now beginning to be preached that that lamb of the Old Testament slaughter is this man, Christ Jesus. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the one that God is going to sacrifice to take away the sin. Not to cover the sin, but to take away the sin. So here we see the symbology. Now the New Testament is now giving definition to who that lamb was. If all we had was the Old Testament, that lamb was just a lamb. Was just a sacrifice, an animal that had to be slaughtered so that my sin would be covered because I sinned, and God said, if you sin, you've got to do this for it to be covered. So see, the New Testament is now being preached in a different way. We're no longer preaching the types and the foreshadows, necessarily, of the Old Testament, but we're now giving the Old Testament its feet by giving the fuller revelation and understanding, and it began with John the Baptist. The Law and the Prophets were until John... Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. <clears throat> Look, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 1. said, God who at sundry times and in divers manners, meaning different ways, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Okay? So, were the prophets told things by God? Yes. God spoke to those prophets and gave those prophets the things that they were to say. That's why I say the Old Testament is just as inspired as the New Testament. The Old Testament was God breathing out His words and those prophets were relaying those very words, wrote those very words down that God, that's why all Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is given by the inspiration of God. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. How did he do that? Through the prophets. He spoke to them by the pro through the prophets. The prophets declared unto them the things to be known, to be told, right? But now, something that supersedes the prophets has come. Look at verse 2. 
God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So now the Son is the one who has come to speak on behalf of God. So whatever Jesus came and preached and taught to those apostles, the us, who have in these last days spoken unto us, <coughs> whatever Jesus spoke to them were the words of God. Therefore, whatever those apostles, whatever those men wrote down, were written down because it was God who spoke to them in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus told them what to, what to write. Christ Jesus told them His doctrine. Told them what the kingdom was about. He explained the kingdom to them. He explained the nature of His kingdom to them. He explained who the people of the kingdom were. He explained everything. Therefore, Paul wrote that the kingdom of God is not a physical Israel, it's a spiritual Israel. Not all that are of Israel are Israel. That is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but one who is inwardly. And that a Jew is not one who has been circumcised in the flesh, but one who has been circumcised in heart. The one who has been born from above, born again, born from heaven. See, now we have a different understanding that this kingdom and this people and these tabernacles and all these things that were spoken of in the Old Testament has been given spiritual feet, not physical, natural feet. They've been given spiritual feet. We now are walking in a, in a spiritual understanding of these things. And it is a kingdom of spiritual rule. Christ is ruling in us spiritually. Now, does He rule over all the world in a physical way? Absolutely, He does. Not anything happens that doesn't happen. You guys showing up here today, Daniel showing up here today, my kids being here today, me being here today, those leaves out there that's flapping on the trees, you know, that squirrel out in the yard trying to gather up, none of that stuff is happening without the overall control of God controlling everything. Because He rules over everything. But brethren, whenever we're talking about the kingdom, we're talking about a physical kingdom and those subjects in that kingdom, they submit. In the physical, we don't always submit, right? I sin day by day. I sin. I don't submit to the law of God. That's what Paul was saying. I try to do, but I can't. Every time I try, evil's with me. But what did Paul say? He said, with this fleshly man, I am going to serve the law of sin. I cannot keep the law. I cannot keep the ordinances. I cannot keep the things that's required of me. But he said, but the inward man, the spiritual man, he keeps the law of God perfectly, without fail. That inward man keeps the law of God. Why? Because it's a spiritual kingdom and I am a spiritual man and that spiritual man that is in me is subject to the king of that spiritual kingdom and keeps the law completely. Why? Because Christ does rule with the rod of iron in His spiritual kingdom over all of His people and they are subject to Him and they do His bidding. Now what does that mean? That means that 
in the spiritual aspect of these things, we cannot sin. The Bible says that those who are born of God cannot sin. That the Spirit of God that has been given to us is created in righteousness and holiness. See, that's why we have to separate the physical from the spiritual, brethren. That's why I say that all the time. There is the physical, there is the flesh, and there is the spiritual. We are not of this world. This flesh is of the world, but we are not of this world. Well, how do you say that, preacher? I've only known this world. We are not of this world. We were from somewhere else. We were from heaven. We were from wherever it was that our life came from God, that was born of God, that inward man that we are. And I'm talking about the elect of God. I'm not talking about everybody in the world. I'm talking about the elect of God. The Bible says they are pilgrims. They are not of this world. Why? Because our spiritual person who inhabits this flesh of Adam is not of this world. It does come from God. Our life is hid with God. It, Christ is life. He is your life, the Scripture says. The Bible says that, that all the fullness of God dwells in Christ bodily and we are complete in Him. So I'm not complete in my flesh, but I'm complete in my spirit, man. I'm complete in Him. Why? Because my life is derived from His. The seed always will reproduce after its own kind. Well, if I'm a child, if I'm a seed of Christ in the spiritual realm, then that means that I am like the one who came before me. An apple tree doesn't produce oranges. It produces after its own kind. The spirit man, Christ, produces after his own kind. We are his generation. We declare, who shall declare his generation? It's his spiritual people, not his physical people. Listen, his physical people don't declare him right now. Those physical Jews don't declare Christ. But the spiritual Jews do. <clears throat> Who hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. So, Christ is now the spokesperson. Of course, He's always been the spokesperson of God. Why? Because He is the Word of God. If there's anything to be said by God, it's, be, it's through Christ. Because Christ is the Word of God. Christ is the one who has made known the things of the kingdom of God. And so, this shift from types and foreshadows and the things that were told by the law and the prophets in the fulfillment of time have now come to an end. And now, instead of being told what was told by the prophets and the law, are now being told by the Son. And whoever the Son gives utterance to. Whoever the Son gives these to. And they continue on in these things. Look at John 18. So what has Jesus said about this kingdom? <clears throat> if God has now spoken to us by His Son, 
if there has been a fulfillment of time and now these things have been sealed up and being fulfilled at this point that Jesus is, is there and He is the now the, the Word that everyone is to listen to, what did Jesus say about this kingdom? Well, in John chapter 18, after Jesus had been tried by the religious leaders and he was sent to Pilate, he said this, look if you would down to uh, verse 33. It said, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Now that was the accusation that the religious leaders hated. He's acting, he's acting like he's the king of the Jews. Obviously, that was something that was being said to everybody. That was the word of mouth around because all of a sudden, Pilate now, who is a... He doesn't get down and get his hands dirty among all the, the common people and the Jews and enter into the affairs of the religious leaders and the Pharisees and Sadducees and things like that. He didn't get his hands down in there. Matter of fact, if you remember, there was kind of this bouncing Jesus back and forth between Pilate and Herod and all these other leaders. That's not my place. Go judge your people among your own people. And, and it finally got back to Pilate again, and what did he say? He said, Art thou the king of the Jews? So obviously this is the word that's been going around, is you're the king of the Jews. What did Jesus say here? Jesus answered him, Saith thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it? Of the, he's saying, is, did you hear this because you heard it from everyone else, or is this what you really think? Pilate answered, "Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done?" And Jesus answered, "My kingdom is not of this world." God who at sundry times and in divers' manners spoken unto us by the prophets, to the fathers by the prophets, hath now in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. The Son now is speaking on behalf of all of God. And He declares here that the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, is not of this world. Can't get any clearer than that. His kingdom is not of this world. What does that mean? Does that mean that His kingdom is... Is it in this world? No. His kingdom is surely in this world, but it's not of this world. It means it didn't begin in this world. It didn't derive from the things of this world. While this kingdom can be in this world, it is not of this world. Meaning it is not set up from anything of this world. It is not governed by anything of this world. It is not of this world. And if it is not of this world then what does that mean? What lies beyond this world? That would be heaven. We would call it the spirit world, right? 
where the spirits of just men go before God when they die. Where God, who is a spirit, lives. Of course, Jesus is there in body, I believe. Who is God manifested in the flesh. But that's for another day. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. Look at look if you would at uh, Luke chapter sixteen. Oh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter seventeen. There we look at Luke sixteen. Luke chapter seventeen. right after uh, uh, the cleansing of the lepers. Uh, verse 20. And when he, was, when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he, Jesus, answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Now, wait a minute. <clears throat> if Jesus' kingdom is a physical kingdom, with a physical throne, and a physical temple, tabernacle, with physical subjects, then I can observe that. I can see that. I don't even know when it's coming. But Jesus said here, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Now that word with observation, it means with outward show. It's not tangible. Something that you can see and grab a hold of. It's not something that you can, you can uh, relegate here or there. Not something you can take a picture with. Not something you can draw on paper. He goes on to say, Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. What does he mean by there? Neither shall they say, Lo, here's the kingdom of God over here in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives at the tabernacle or the temple. Or lo there. Wherever else you want to put it. At the Vatican. Or the United States. Or Mecca. Neither shall they say low here or low there. Who? Neither shall who say that. Neither shall the subjects of the kingdom say low it's over here or low it's over there. But what does he say? Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Well, folks, if it's within us, it's definitely not a physical kingdom. If the kingdom of God is within us, it is not a physical kingdom that is going to take place on a physical mount with a physical tabernacle, with a physical throne, and a physical rod of iron, with a physical Jesus sitting on it. That is not the kingdom of God. 
And He said unto His disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall see it not. What is He talking about? He's talking about this kingdom. Remember, they just asked Him, just will you tell us when the kingdom of God is going to come? Because that's what we're expecting. We're, if you're the Messiah, you're supposed to be bringing in this kingdom to set us up in power to rule over all these Gentiles. Where, where's it, when's it going to happen? You've been here now for a little while. And we keep thinking you are, but maybe you're not. I don't know. We're kind of confused about who you are. Not really. We know that you're a man from God because you're doing all these miracles. Will you just tell us? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God doesn't come by observation. You can't say, lo, it's here or lo, it's there. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within you. Now, if it's within you, that's not a physical kingdom. What is within you? It's a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. And he says, listen, the day is going to come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. What is that saying? One of these days you're going to desire to see the Son of Man sitting on a physical throne with a physical rod of iron and a physical spot to rule and reign the way you have thought is going to happen, and you're not going to see it. Verse 23, And they shall say to you, See here or see there, go not after them. These are people that's going to try to get you to say, Hey, there's the king. Look, Christ is here and he's setting up his kingdom. Now a lot of people are thinking these are the false gods and the false Christ and all these things. These antichrists that's going to set up his throne and act to be the king. No, Jesus is telling these people right now, Listen, people are going to tell you that the physical kingdom of God is over here. You've got to go over here to check it out. They're telling us right now the physical kingdom of God is going to take place over in Israel, in Jerusalem, on the Mount of Olives. Or on the Temple Mount. What does Jesus say? Go not after them, nor follow them. Romans chapter 14. So many other things that could be said about some of these things, but I try to restrain myself to the subject at hand. Romans chapter 14, if you would look with me at verse uh, verse 17. <clears throat> It says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. How do we serve God and how in the kingdom is He being served? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Them are spiritual things. Not physical things. Those are spiritual things. It says the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink. It's not in your outward ordinances. It's not in your outward activity. It's not in your law keeping. That's what the, that's what meat and drink was talking. Don't eat. Don't drink. Don't eat these things and do these things. Or eat these things and drink these things at this time and this time at this point under this festival. 
to represent this or that or the other. But God is saying here to us through Paul, the kingdom of God is not in meat and drink. You don't serve the king in his kingdom by adhering to law ordinances. You serve him through a spiritual work of righteousness which is given to you. Through peace which has been brought to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. And joy that the Holy Ghost brings into your heart over the things that have been given to you. For he that is in these things, serveth Christ, is acceptable to God and approved of man. Not will be accepted of God, but is accepted. Meaning that those who serve Christ in this way are the ones who have been accepted in the Beloved. The ones who are the elect of God, united to Christ Jesus. These are the ones who are His people, His true Israel. They're the ones who serve Christ in this way, not in the outward show of ordinances, but in the inward man of the heart. That's who serves Him. Now, I know I've been long. But let's look at a few other things. Did John preach this? Is this what John preached? We said it was the law and the prophets were until John. Did John preach this? Well, in Matthew chapter 3, and verse 1, I'm going to read these fairly quick, so if you can't turn fast, write them down or something. But in John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John preached the kingdom of heaven. And we just learned that the kingdom of heaven does not come with observation. It does not come with outward work. It does not come in a physical way. It's a spiritual thing. John came and preached and said, Repent ye, not repent of your sins, but repent of your wrong thinking. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, not to come. It's at hand. It's here. Jesus said it was here and it was in you. Right? Jesus, we already read in John chapter 16 that Jesus preached that, but we also see in Luke chapter 8. We see in Luke chapter 8 verse 1, And it came to pass afterward that He, speaking of Jesus, went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with Him. So Jesus went about preaching the kingdom of God, which we learned is a spiritual kingdom. He went about in every city and village, preaching and showing the good news. That word glad tidings, that's also the word gospel, right? preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And who was with them? The twelve. The twelve apostles. The ones who he called out. And his apostles, he gave that doctrine and, and, and uh, uh, trained them and preached to them and rewired their thinking about uh, what the kingdom was all about. The truth of what the kingdom was about. And he took them with him, with him. And everywhere he went, he preached this to everyone he preached to. And he preached them specifically to these twelve so that whenever he left, 
Those twelve who would be the foundation of the New Testament church would then begin to preach the kingdom of God the way Jesus intended it to be preached. That's why we preach it that way. That's why we don't preach follow Israel and the, and the physical people of God. We're preaching the spiritual kingdom of God, which is a Jew that is inwardly, a Jew that is circumcised in the heart, not one who is in the flesh. We are children of Abraham by promise, not by the flesh. Listen, Ishmael was just as much the child of Abraham as Isaac was, but Ishmael was not a child of the promise. He was flesh of Abraham's flesh, but yet he was not the child of promise. Esau was a child of Abraham of his flesh, but was not the child of promise. We are the children of Abraham if we are the children of promise, meaning that we have been born from above. That leads me to another thought, by the way. To be a citizen of a kingdom, one either has to be born in that kingdom, right? Or they have to be brought in by naturalization. They have to be brought in by naturalization. You have to be born in that kingdom, or you have to be naturalized. Well, this is a spiritual kingdom. How is one to be a part of a spiritual kingdom? They're, it's not by the flesh. You're born into that kingdom. And how are we born into that kingdom? We're born from above. We are born natural citizens of the spiritual kingdom of Christ. <clears throat> so we see here that Jesus preached this very thing. Look, if you would, also at Paul in Acts. Did Paul preach this? In Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, look with me at verse 25. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Again, this is Paul uh, talking here in this portion of Acts. He says, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God. Paul preached the kingdom of God. Again, we know that the kingdom of God was a spiritual kingdom, not a fleshly kingdom, not a, not a physical kingdom but a kingdom that was spiritual. So Paul preached that. We also see, if you would, while you're in Acts, turn to chapter 28. Look at verse 30. It says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So Paul preached the kingdom of God and what? Those things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the things that concerned Israel, the physical kingdom, the fleshly people, the national people. No, he taught them what? He taught them the physical 
or excuse me, the spiritual kingdom and the spiritual king of that kingdom, Christ Jesus. If, look, if you would, in Acts chapter 8. We see Philip. Preach the exact same thing. Look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. What was Philip preaching? Jesus Christ and the spiritual kingdom of God. Now, I want to kind of take a turn a little bit. Uh, I would probably say that all of us in here would say amen to all this. I mean, this is clear scripture to us, right? But why is it that some people can read these same things and hear these things and they still want to go back to law service. They still want to look back to a physical kingdom, a physical Israel, a physical uh, rule and reign on a physical throne over physical nations. Why do they want to continue in this? Whenever this is a spiritual matter, and we ought to be looking at it from that spiritual thing, and the Bible has even told us to do so, why are there some that still do this? Well, if you would, in Matthew chapter 13, I think we have a couple of things that might give us a, a, little, re, a little bit of a reason why. Jesus often spoke in, on the kingdom of, of God, and whenever He would preach these things, a lot of times... Most of the time, I would say, probably, he spoke in parables, right? Now, in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 11, Jesus had been talking about some of these things. Verse 10, he says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And now most people would say, Well, parables are given to us to make it, eat, make it understand easier, right? Jesus preached in parables so that the person could understand it better. He gave them story lessons to better illustrate and so that they understand. But that's not why Jesus spoke in parables. It's just the opposite, actually. It says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So right there, number one, it tells me, uh, uh, several things, just right here in this verse. Number one, that these parables are something that has to be given to know. It is given unto you to know. So it's something that cannot be known unless it's given unto you, right? Another thing it says is the mysteries, that these are mysteries. That speaking in parables, and I would say in types and foreshadows and symbology, like in the Old Testament, Basically, those things were great big giant parables. Jesus is saying here that these were mysteries. It's a mystery. He is speaking these things because it's a mystery. 
He's speaking in a mysterious way, so to speak. And unless you're given to know these things, it's going to continue to be a mystery to you, right? Now, am I safe to say that's the clear understanding of that verse? Because the reason that I speak unto them in parables is because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. That's why I'm speaking in parables. You're given to know the mysteries of the parable of the kingdom of God, but they are not given to know. Look, if you would, at Luke chapter 8. This is right after Jesus did the parable of the sower, and He said this in verse 10. And He said... And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So, if you'll see here in this parallel verse, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, Jesus used interchangeably. I know there's people that say there's a difference between the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that all those are different things. I think they're all three, one and the same. It says, But unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables. That's... And here's Jesus is going to give the reason why he spoke to them in such a way. That seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. The reason that Jesus spoke in parables, and if you would, symbols, types, and foreshadows, is that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not hear. But to those who are given to hear, given ears to hear, and given eyes to see, the Bible says that the seeing eye and the hearing ear, the Lord has given both of them, right? He spoke to Isaiah, he said, I'm going to send you to a people, and you're going to preach to them, and they're not going to see, and they're not going to hear, and they're not going to understand. Now, how would you like to be a preacher? That That's, that's your... <laughs> That's your commission. Hey, I'm going to send you over there and I'm going to have you preach to these people. But guess what? Nobody's going to understand. Nobody's going to realize what you're talking about. They're not going to accept it. They're not going to receive it. Matter of fact, they're going to get a little hostile towards it. Oh, thanks. You know? But brethren, that's all we can do because we don't know who the Lord's going to give ears to hear and eyes to see. We don't know who the child of grace is that already has seen eyes and hearing ears. That to them, that is what's quenching their thirst and their hunger. We don't know that, so we keep going and preaching it. But here he says that the seeing they that that they might not see and hearing they might not understand. And even back in the Old Testament, God made it clear that these things are written, even. And Emmanuel might have to help me on this verse. I can't remember exactly where it's at. I think it's in somewhere in Hebrews. But the Bible speaks about, and maybe Peter, in, in one of the epistles of Peter, that that say that the things of the Old Testament, that these scriptures were written for our understanding. Whose understanding? The ones to whom they've been revealed. 
The ones to whom this fuller understanding and revelation has been taught. The one in whom the kingdom of God is being preached to. The spiritual kingdom with the spiritual gospel. Those are the ones to whom those things were written for our understanding. Those parables to them and to a lot of people today are still veiled in shadow and type. They're still veiled in a mystery. They don't see the connection with Christ and His spiritual kingdom and His spiritual people and the spiritual tabernacle that they make up. To them it's still a mystery. Why? Because in seeing they do not see and in hearing they do not hear. In Romans chapter 16, we find this mystery is hid. Romans chapter 16, look with me if you would, down to uh, verse 25. It says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Now that word establish. Here, I just recently preached on that word established uh, when I preached down in Choctaw at the Bible conference. That word established there, it means, it means to root inside of you. It means to confirm in you. And that word is used several times in the New Testament, especially by Paul, about the gospel is not something that we learn outwardly or that we see with physical eyes or understand with physical ears. Or, or is a tangible thing that we can just take by ourselves, but the gospel, especially its receptance, acceptance, belief, that this is something that has to be established in us, that it has to be, it has to be uh, uh, confirmed in us by the Holy Spirit. We can hear it outwardly and we don't understand it, we don't believe it, we don't receive it as truth until the Holy Spirit confirms it in our heart that it's the truth. And that's what the word he's using here. Now to him that is of power to establish you or confirm to you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. So see, this gospel that began with John was a mystery from the beginning of the world, but now is being made manifest through the gospel. It's being manif manifested through the preaching of Jesus Christ. So see, it wasn't something that the Old Testament people understood in its fullness, and the teaching that is in the Old Testament is not the fullest teaching of the understanding of those visions and the prophecy and the things concerning Christ and His kingdom. But now we have Christ who has spoken on this account and has given this account unto the apostles and the apostles has given that unto the disciples and the disciples continue to perpetuate that one faith that was given to them throughout every generation and it is no longer a mystery but it is what? We speak according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret but now is made manifest through the preaching of the gospel. We see the same thing uh, in Colossians. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. Or excuse me, let me verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God 
even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations. It was hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to who? His saints. Not to His physical people, Israel, but to who? His saints. Those who are in Christ Jesus. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. So what is being made known whenever we preach this spiritual kingdom and preach Christ Jesus? We're preaching the riches of what this mystery was. The mystery and the people that was under that mystery never got to see the fullness and the richness of what was being showed to them. But now, to those who are His saints, to those who have been given eyes to see and ears to hear, we see the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, wait a minute. <clears throat> Didn't we learn earlier that the Bible said that the kingdom of God was in you? Now we're being told that it is Christ who is in you. Is He not the King? And that the kingdom is His? The kingdom of God is within you and the king is on his throne in you. To whom we would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. We labor, striving according to His working, to His working. But it's a working that is inwardly. Did, he, did you not see that? It's His working, but it is one that is working in me mightily. It's not what I'm outwardly working. It is not what I do. It is not my work. It's His work. And it's a work that He's doing in me. Brethren, it's a service of the King in a spiritual kingdom. It's an inward thing. It's a spiritual thing. It is not a physical, fleshly thing. It is Christ in you. And lastly, one more verse before we end. Before I'm done, if anybody has anything to comment, they're welcome to it. But Luke chapter 17, <coughs> again, we already read this verse, but with that thought that I just made, Luke 17, look again at verse 21. <coughs> Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. This is the kingdom that. John preached, that Jesus preached, that Paul preached, that Peter preached, that James and John preached. This is the, the kingdom that is the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's the kingdom that is in you. And the king is ruling in that kingdom, for he is in you. Brethren, we are not looking for a physical thing because the kingdom of God does not come with observation in a tangible manner. It comes in the Holy Ghost. It comes within the work inwardly in us. That is where the kingdom of God resides. It is a spiritual kingdom. And we serve that spiritual king 
in that spiritual kingdom, but it's not with these fleshly hands. It's not with these fleshly hands at all. So hopefully that's, and I know, even though I've been very long-winded today uh, and everything on this, I know that that's just a simplified look at this, and there's probably a whole lot more that I didn't cover in this, and I didn't really intend to do a, a full extensive thing on this, but just a, a, something to show that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. The people of God are spiritual people. The, the tabernacle is a spiritual tabernacle. It's the people of God that make up that tabernacle. And the gospel is a spiritual gospel. And that these things are all a mystery unless God reveals that to us. It's still a mystery. And what all the Old Testament was preaching, even though that was their Bible, Jesus, with His coming, with, with John and Jesus and the apostles, with the coming of that fullness of time... That Bible that was shrouded in veil was opened up. And so now all those who keep saying, well, can you, just, can you preach that with the Old Testament without using the New Testament with any reference to the New Testament? Because all those people knew, and, and you know, there's been people that have been asking us these questions, saying they, all they had was the Old Testament. Can you preach what you're saying about a spiritual kingdom without using the New Testament? And the... And the and the question to that, for the most part, is no. But that's the point. The point is, is the New Testament has been given to us and is the revelation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was meant to be shrouded. The Old Testament was meant to be kept a mystery. It was kept in that way and was only revealed to those people during that time by the ones who God gave. And even at that, it was only in part. It was not in its fullness. But now the preaching of the kingdom has been fully made manifest of Jesus Christ and His work and His people's uh, 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 relation to Him and in it. And so, yes, we need the New Testament to fully understand those things. Did the only Bible that they had and the only preachers that was preaching those things to them people, were they preaching these things? Yes, they were. And they was using that Old Testament Bible. But they were also using the authority of Jesus Christ, who in these last days has spoken. Who at sundry times and divers manners spoke by the prophets. He is now speaking. And now he has given that to his apostles who has written this down in this Bible for us. And the Bible says we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have a more sure word of prophecy. We had prophecy in the Old Testament that was shrouded in mystery. But now we have prophecy. And that word prophecy doesn't mean foretelling. It means foretelling, preaching. We have a more sure word of preaching. Remember Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? That's what that, that verse that says that we have a more sure word of prophecy comes right after uh, Paul and Hebrews giving an account of them seeing or uh, of, uh, of them seeing his glory and his fullness, right? And they saw and Paul saw his fullness on the road to Damascus. And he saw the glory of Christ and everything like that. But he said, Listen, God came down out of heaven and he said, This is my son. And whom I am well pleased, listen to him. He didn't say listen to Moses. 
Although Moses needs to be listened to, but he needs to be listened to through the lens of Jesus Christ and the mouth of Jesus Christ. Christ preaches Moses to us, not Moses preaches Moses to us. We have to listen to what Moses and the prophets say through the man that God has appointed to tell us about it, and that's the Lord Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews, and I might have that wrong, maybe it's in Peter. I, I always get this mixed up. <clears throat> Forgive me that. But the, the Bible says that we have, even though he had all these miracles, and even though the voice came out of heaven, we have a more sure word of prophecy. These scriptures have been given to us to reveal and to show the truth of what that Old Testament was saying. And Paul, Peter, Peter claims that the writings that Paul had that they already had at the time that Peter was writing his letter, Paul had already began to write his letters. And Peter made very clear that Paul's letters were equivalent to the scriptures which they had in the Old Testament. So we know that Paul and all of the things that he wrote, and he's the one that mostly wrote about the kingdom of God and it being a spiritual kingdom and the fulfilling of the law and the doing away with law service and that we are no longer under the law but under grace. And he was the one that even said, I cannot serve the law in the flesh. I can only serve the law in the spirit. He's the one who is claimed to be the scripture writer. So, brethren, yes, the New Testament are the Scriptures. Yes, the New Testament is the revelation of the Old Testament things and the fuller understanding of it. And they all come by the mouth of Jesus Christ. And we listen to Him. We don't listen to Rabbi so-and-so or Prophet so-and-so or Pope so-and-so or Reverend Preacher Man so-and-so. And I use that word reverend tongue-in-cheek. You shouldn't call any preacher reverend. <clears throat> But anyway, I'll end with that. Anybody have anything you'd like to add to that or anything you'd like to share? Any brothers got anything you'd like to share? Any corrections or reproofs, rebukes? Maybe not at this time. I threw out a lot there this morning, but I pray that the, the things that I said were of the truth. Right interpretation of it. <clears throat> well, if nobody has anything, does anybody have another song or anything you'd like to sing? Or... Right. I'm just bound my word for <clears throat> Lord Jesus, once again we come before you thanking you so much for all that you've done on our behalf. We thank you for the word of God that's been given to us and thank you for the testimony of yourself that is given in the Word of God. We thank You, Father, for the Spirit that You give us, Christ Jesus, who is in us, to lead us not only into all truth, but to convict us of sin, to confirm us in the Gospel, to let us know that we are His children. And Father, we're just grateful for this time that we have once again to be together for the fellowship uh, in the Word of God and the fellowship among the brethren. Father, I thank you for each one of these brethren you brought here today. And Lord, I pray that you've ministered to their hearts. And Lord, the things that I've said, I pray that they've been of truth and that they've been uh, honoring of our Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that anything that I've spoke of or said today that is not of truth, that is of error, 
Lord, I pray that not only would you forgive me of those things, but Father, I pray that you would uh, correct my understanding of those. And Lord, that you might also show truth to these brethren, that they might not follow after a preacher, but they might search the scriptures to see whether these things be true or not. Lord, I pray that you would keep us all in the faith. This church, Lord, I pray that you would keep us standing on the faith once delivered to the saints, that throughout this wicked and untoward generation that we are living in, that we might be those who earnestly contend for the faith that Jesus gives, and that we might be a pillar and ground of truth here. Lord, I pray for those in this town and the surrounding towns that are your children that may not know that we are here, Father. I pray by your providence that you might bring them so that they might find refuge in a place that, that teaches and preaches the truth of Jesus Christ, if we so do. Lord, that they might find comfort in the Word of God and they might find comfort in the gospel of free and sovereign grace. Lord, we just pray now that you would be with us as we leave this place, that you might keep us and direct us and guide us uh, as we know you do. And Lord, that you would give us safety and that you might <clears throat> uh, gather us back here again, if that be your will. And Father, it's all in Christ's precious name that we pray these things. Amen.